want you to turn with me to uh, two portions of scripture. Uh, the first in Matthew chapter 28, and I'm going to actually read, even though I know we only have from verse 18, I'm going to read from verse 16 uh, to 20, and then Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 11 through 16. So would you just uh, turn there if you can, or follow along on the screen or in your bulletin. Matthew chapter 28, reading from verse 16 through to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, this is following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death and crucifixion, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then Ephesians chapter 4, reading from verse 11. So Christ, gave, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of God. Let me uh, offer a word of prayer. Father, this morning... Uh, as we come to your word, we ask again that you would speak to us by your spirit. I pray, Father, this morning that your word would have its desired impact upon our life. Yes, we seek understanding and we seek knowledge, but we also, Father, seek discernment. We seek to know the ways in which you are calling us to live. For to be Christian is not only to possess a knowledge of Jesus Christ, but it is in fact to grow into a mature follower that lives in the ways of God. This is what we desire. So may through what you have placed on my heart, your word be proclaimed and you be glorified. May you even through this word draw us closer to your son Jesus Christ the one who died for our sins and through his redemption has made us children of the living God. May we sense your Holy Spirit with us today, bringing joy and understanding, delighting in the worship of your people. And may we glorify the Father in all that is done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So good to be here. I really do like this church. I really do like you. And um, like is, a, is, is not as strong a word as love, but I could probably say love you. Uh, today, I begin a seven-week series, a teaching series on our vision as a church. Now, by all, by the sound of that, that can be an incredibly boring series. But I trust that you would not be bored. In fact, I think it is very challenging to consider what God has called us to accomplish as his church. And so I've titled it, Vision to Action. Responding to God's calling through learning, through growing, and serving together. And it is my hope that over the next several weeks, we will do more than simply receive more understanding that we would be enabled and empowered as a church to actively pursue what God, I believe God, has called us to do as his church gathered here in Calgary in 2017. Can you believe it's 2017 already? Time flies. So over the next seven weeks, I just want to very quickly share this with you, several things are going to happen. The idea behind the series is we are a people who 
learn a lot, we listen a lot, but we are going to participate as far as possible in being obedient to what God is calling us to do. And so over the coming two Sundays, we're going to gather in the homes of several of our people. We call these home gatherings. And we hope that you would participate in those gatherings. If you're visiting with us today, I want to encourage you to go. Some homes will even have something to offer, to eat. Uh, This is going to be wonderful, so you can have a great breakfast on a Sunday morning. Uh, But the fellowship and the learning together will be key to those home gatherings. Uh, We're going to participate in a service project, a community food drive, uh, is is what our our missions team has come up with. And the, 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 the resources that God has given us, we believe we've been given to share with those in need. Uh, January can be very sparse days uh, for our interfaith bank, a food bank here in the city. And so we're going to rally together as a church to, uh, to collect resources and to bless that ministry within our church. We're going to learn about an opportunity that some of our people in the church are already participating in. It's an opportunity to practice generous hospitality. That is to host graduate students from the University of Calgary in our homes. It's a program called Home Away From Home. And in a few weeks, we'll have a representative here to share with us that wonderful opportunity. And then finally, we're going to pray together as a church. Our second prayer summit is scheduled for February. And this is not just for experienced Christians, uh, but an opportunity for our children, for our youth, for our young adults, for our young marrieds, and for those who are really experienced at adulting. Yeah, I just made that a verb. (laughs) To come together in prayer. To learn how to pray. If you don't know, you can come. To pray for one another and to pray in such a way to discern what God is doing and where he's leading us in a church. And I want to suggest to you that with all that I'm going to share with you over the coming weeks and all that we'll be doing, the work of the church, the calling of the church cannot be accomplished without God's help. The scripture read this morning says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That in fact, when we are called to do the work that God has given us, that we do not do it simply without God's presence and His promise. That it is in fact Jesus that commissions us to do the work of the church and that he is with us in the work we do. So just as a, a little kind of insight before I share our vision, it is so important that you do not see this as a strategy, although it is. <laughs> it is so important that you don't look at this as the be and end all to all church life. But it can be incredibly powerful. It is important for us as a community of faith to recognize that God has called us uniquely to fulfill his purpose and that he enables the church to do so through his presence. So this morning, I begin with reflecting on the reason we exist. Now, some of you are pretty smart, and you're sitting out there and you say, I know what, why we exist. Uh, it's not that complicated to ask the question of why a church exists. You know, a church exists to do churchy stuff. Some of you may say, why spend time developing a vision and, 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 and saying this is why we exist when perhaps the scriptures has already told us what we exist to do. It may surprise some of you to realize that people like ourselves, as different as we are, come to a community of faith with different expectations and hopes and desires. That sometimes the purpose of the church is not very clear to the church. That sometimes there are many reasons we gather, many hopes we carry, many ideas we have. But Jesus gives us, according to the scripture, a very specific purpose for our existence. And so a few years ago, there were several people who came to me and said, Pastor, and to our ministry leaders, you know, we should do this program. This sounds like a great idea. Or, or why don't we do more here? Or why don't we, why don't we pursue this? This is a great thing. I heard about this ministry in a different church. Or, or some people who came from other churches to become a part of this, this very good church, uh, you know, the better church. Uh, when you came, you 
came with ideas about what has been done, and sometimes you said, this didn't work, let's try this. And we realized as leaders that we could not be all things to all people. And in fact, we didn't have a good answer to say no or a good answer to say yes, because we did not really wrestle deeply enough with what God has called us to accomplish as a church. And so we set to work to answer the question of the reason for our existence. And it comes from both the scriptures we read, and we defined that. We, we made it a concise statement to simply say this, that Skyview exists to do two things really well, and not only for their own sake. We exist to help people come to know Jesus Christ. And we exist to not only introduce people to Jesus, but we exist to help people grow into mature followers in him. Now, i got to be honest with you. I didn't like the initial statement because I can't say the word mature the way you do. And every time I say it, some of you look funnily at me. But do you know that scripture teaches us very clearly that we are not called simply to acknowledge and to have a a superficial understanding of Jesus, that we are invited to participate in the life of God through which by God's Spirit, He grows us up into the people that can bless and represent Him in our world. That to be Christian is to do both things, to know Him and to grow in Him. That you cannot be a true follower of Jesus without both. Now, this morning, I would be remiss if I didn't suggest to you or say to you very clearly that we face an incredibly difficult challenge in introducing people to Jesus. Joel is a very good friend of mine, and he's also a sociologist who studies religious trends in Canada. His research are in my opinion, teaching us as a church the real difficulties we face in our day and age. We realize that the fastest growing category of people when it comes to religion in Canada are those who say they have no religion. We also realize that our society has moved on from a familiarity with the Christian church And today it seems that more and more people are apathetic at best and even antagonistic towards the church. Alarming rates of young people are dropping off the radar. Even those who have been raised in the Christian church are not serving faithfully and following after Christ post-young adult life. And... Church attendance seems to be in significant decline. More and more people are choosing to no longer attend church, making the statement, I think, that we no longer find church to be as relevant in our lives. I, 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 I share this with you not because I want to depress us, but I want you to understand that what we are called to do according to Jesus is difficult today to do in our day and in our age. I want you to understand, though, that it, because it is difficult does not mean that we are not able to do this. And that churches that take seriously what Jesus says, and lo, I am with you, he says that in the, in the very context of saying, go and make disciples. We do not do this work simply because we have a good vision statement, although I really like it today. We do it because we believe that Christ is with us in the work of the church, and that as a church, it may take figuring out, it may take courage, it may take training, but we are able with the power of God and the presence of his Holy Spirit help people come to know the Savior that you and I have known. Listen, my friends, nothing excites and reinvigorates a Christian's life more than being in the company of those who had come to experience knowing this Jesus Christ. Nothing is more, brings more renewal to a church than being a part of a church that intentionally wants to introduce those who don't know him to this great and wonderful Savior. 
I don't have a lot of time and I've set my, my alarm so that we can have time for your discussions, but, but I want to suggest that, that to help people come to know Jesus is not only difficult, but that I believe in our culture relationships are key. That it takes time to introduce Jesus to people. My friend that I led to the Lord two weeks ago, I've known for three years, and, and it's been a, a journey uh, for him to come to the place of, of surrendering his life to God. There, there is a sense in which it takes time and it takes intentionality. But can I also say this to you, that you know, if relationships is key, God has already given us connections and relationships to others, that this God works with, with the little we have and works through our meager resources to do more than we can imagine. And that when we believe that through our witness we can introduce other people to Jesus, we can have a confidence to live our lives with an intention to share him. In Luke chapter 15, we read this wonderful three parables back to back about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. It seems that Jesus, his economics are very different to ours. You may hear me say, we got to introduce people to Jesus and you may think about the crowds and all the people that don't yet know him. But Jesus always gives us a way forward. He gives us a vision for life that says, let's begin by the ones we know, the ones I care about, the ones in your life. The one person that you can put on your heart today. The one person that you can begin praying for. The one person that you can become intentional with. My friends, Christians do not mature and grow unless they take seriously the calling of Christ to share this Jesus and make him known with other people. There's one person you can think of today that you can begin praying for. There's one person that you can, you can start saying, Lord, I, I want my life to bear witness. I want to be intentional. This Jesus abandons the 99 and pursues the one. And in the West, we say he has bad math. He has bad economics. Does he not know it's better to care for the 99 than the one? But oh, the heart of the Father is for the lost. The heart of Jesus is for the person who does not yet know him. And my friends, here's my prayer for the church. I've prayed that by God's Spirit, he would implant in us a heart for those who do not know him. A passion to be the kind of church that desires in their resources and in their times and in their personal lives together to share Jesus for the sake of those who yet do not know him. I wonder this morning if that strikes a chord with you. I hope it does. But not only and I'm watching my phone, Joel. I'm still on track. That Jesus commands us to make disciples, to introduce him. That's a part of discipleship, to introduce people to Jesus. But Ephesians paints for us a picture of the purpose of our Christian life. It's not simply just a knowing and a salvation on its own, but it is a salvation that enters us into a life. A life of maturation, a, a life of growth. And in fact, it gives for us a purpose for the church. And I want you to hear this because sometimes people get very dissatisfied with the church and they'll say, you know, the church didn't meet my needs. Can I get an amen? You know, the church, the church didn't do what I, I wanted you to do. Now, now listen, if, if, if that is based upon what the calling of the church is, then you have a valid reason. But a lot of times, I think people leave churches because for the wrong reasons. At least leave for the right reason. Here's a right reason to leave, okay? If we as leaders and those called of God in this church are not equipping you as His people to do His work so that you would mature into all that you are supposed to be in Him, then leave the church. But Jesus did not create the church to simply meet the needs of its people. He's created the church to be the incarnation of his son in this world, to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ, and together to find our place as a part of this family for the sake of others. Pastors, I, 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 want, you, I, want, you to hear, I want you to hear what Paul says. So Christ gave me as a gift to you. I like that. 
Some of you are not impressed. That was my attempt at humor. Uh, I like to think of myself as a gift, but not in an arrogant way, of course. Because you see, you can only be a gift if you know that you do not belong to yourself. You can only be a gift if you are all out belonging to Jesus Christ. If he has the rights to my life, he has the rights to give me to whoever he wants. And I've responded through my baptism. I've said, I'm all in whatever you want with my life. As difficult as it becomes to be a pastor, as hard and challenging as it might be, I I have said to the Lord, and I've not always been my best, I've not always done it right, but I have committed to him that he will have first rights to my life. And so he gives my abilities, he gives my very being as a gift and instrument to the church by which we are to be developed, to be grown for his sake and for his purpose. But my friends, when I read the scripture, I'm not an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher. I believe that there are men and women amongst us that God is calling up to be a part of equipping the people in this church for the purposes of God. And my friends, any church that looks at one person, and I'm not saying you do that, but anybody that looks at one pastor and says, you're all those things, has missed the calling of the church. Those called of God to to educate and equip us and to train us, that is one calling. But we are all called of God to participate in the work that God has called us to do. I need brothers and sisters who will respond to the calling of God by saying, you have all rights to my life. Let me serve your church. Let me minister to your people. Let me give of what you've given me. I want my life to be gift for the sake of growing up the saints for the purposes of the glory of God, to which all people say, amen, too. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. You know, no one person is given all the gifts. We need one another. I really believe that we need more people within our church to find their place of ministry amongst us. Because the purpose of our Christian life is to grow in Him, not only for our sake, but for the sake of others. A key question you must ask yourself if you're a part of Skyview today is simply this Am I growing? Am I maturing? And how do I know if I am or if I'm not? I don't have a lot of time to spend on this, and perhaps I should have spent more time on this section than the first, but I would say this to you, that there are fruits that makes evident those who are maturing in Christ. I borrow from Gordon Smith, the president of Ambrose, who in a wonderful class that I took with him spoke about the characteristics of maturing or holy people. He says holy people are wise people. They are people that have a wisdom with which they live their life. A wisdom that comes from knowing the will of God. He says holy people are people who do good work, the work to which they are called by God. That holy people love others as they have been loved. They do not live out of insecurity. They do not live seeking the approval of others, but they live more out of their identity in Christ. And they do not place their identity in their work or in their children or in their successes or in their failures, but their identity is fully in Christ. And so we are called to do two things. We are called to know him and to grow. But we are also called to help others come to know him and to grow. You see, this is not just about you and me and our church experience. There are so many other people that we know to whom we are the witness of Jesus Christ. Can I ask a very honest question? You know, whenever I've talked about sharing Jesus, 
I, 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 I've always been tempted to kind of say, we just don't do it. And then someone challenged me one day, and they said, you know, Stu, you know, part of the reason we don't do it is we just don't know how to do it today. You know, the world has changed, you know, and if it's true what you say, that, that some people are just apathetic, they couldn't care less. You know, they're in their relevance to God. So what am I going to share Jesus with people for? <laughs> they don't have any need for him. And, and, and if it's true, you say that some are even antagonistic. I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid of sharing because of how I might be treated in sharing this faith. Friends, I understand how difficult it is. Here's what I also found. We had young adults over at my place, a few, a few uh, you know, young adults like me, a little younger, but young adults like me. Oh, yes. Stop, Stu. That's what it says. Stop. Um, and uh, we were talking about what it means to live out your faith. And my wife shared, you know, what does it mean for her to live out our faith? And I shared what it means for me as a pastor. And I said to the group, I said, you may assume that because I'm pastor, it's easy for me to do this thing. And then I shared with them a couple of stories when people found out I'm a pastor <laughs> and how they responded or not responded to me. I know that what I'm preaching towards is not an easy thing to accomplish in this world, but I do believe, my friends, that with the help of God, with a courage that comes from His Spirit, with God making us sensitive to the people around us, and through prayer, we can introduce people to Jesus. Wouldn't that be wonderful? This is why we exist. Dr. Thiessen, I'm not going to make any race-related jokes about the complexion of the chairs, so you can choose that one. <laughs> That's a little inside joke, but, uh, and I'll sit on the lower one. Do you have any questions? Did anybody actually want to ask something? Oh, good. Should I set my alarm so we stay on track? When would you like to be done? I'm thinking 1.30. <laughs> That's good. Perfect. I'll let him get early 1.20. <laughs> All right. Um, certainly invite you to be part of a conversation. Uh, if you want to ask a question out loud, there's a microphone here. Feel free to, uh, to come on forward. Uh, if you want to text a question, and thank you to those who have already uh, texted questions, really encourage you to, uh, to be part of this, and I will uh, simply moderate our, our time together. So here we go. Every question is fair game. Nothing is out of bounds uh, when it comes to these conversations. So question one. Uh, if our vision is to reach out to the people who do not know Jesus, why has our focus until now been seemingly increasingly inward? It's a great question. Um, John chapter 15 paints for us a picture of how we actually become outward people. Uh, people would say, you know, a church, a church that doesn't reach out, you know, just needs to kind of reach out. But you have to have the desire to want to reach out. And Jesus paints it this way, unless you remain in me, no fruit will come from your life. And so the emphasis for us is not to be insular, although that happens. It's not to be inward focused. It's not to just do nice churchy things so that we can all be happy and feel good about Jesus in our life. The reason we emphasize communion with God as our core first value is we believe that the impetus to actually reach outward is a gift of God's spirit that reveals itself in the life of those who know this Jesus Christ well. And that a second part to my answer would be, the church cannot program for every outreach event. Why we have values is so that we can embrace this way of life as individuals. So, yes, critique the church. We must, as long as you see yourself as a part of the church. Critique the church for not being more outreach-focused, because I think that is true, hence the fact that I'm preaching on vision to action. But the key to going there is not to dismiss the value of focusing on the spiritual formation of the individual, but it is not to say that such spiritual formation does not lead us to live out our faith. It should. And if it not, we're not doing the right things. Is that okay? Sure. I'm not here to evaluate good or... <laughs> Isn't that what you do like, as a professor? <laughs> as a professor, but not on Sunday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, second, how will we as a church be able to learn to share the good news, uh, in other words, to reach out to people? 
I think that, you know, that's such a fair question. I think that the assumption is that we know how to do that, and I've carried that assumption. And I think that what we want to move towards is training our people, training you, what it means to actually share your faith. There's a few things I've learned in my own experience, and there's much literature out there today that tells us what our culture is like and how that people are very antagonistic and, you know, don't tell me what to believe. But there are ways in which I think we can make an impression in the right way. One of it is, I think, build relationships. Um, I, I, I just think that's the key to, to sharing our faith today. Just telling somebody to believe the right thing because it's the right thing doesn't mean it's going to be the right thing for them. But truth is always revealed incarnationally. And so when we are in relationship with people, I think that's a starting place. But training in this area, I think, is going to be key moving forward. And, and putting the resources of the church behind what we say matters. And so we want to invest in training you and do all we can for those interested in sharing their faith on how to do it well. Third, uh, what is your response to us as a community pursuing vision to action uh, when some who call this their home attend perhaps once a month or maybe twice a month? It seems to be the trend, isn't it, that church attendance is not necessarily um, a priority as it once were. As a pastor, uh, I think that's hard for me on a weekly basis because uh, in some ways I have that expectation that people would be here uh, and committed to this. I, I think that one of the things I would say is we always live up to what we value most. And you know, I'm going to be frank. Some of you may not want to speak to me afterwards. That's okay. I still love you, and I know you're still Christian. But it has to do with perhaps not seeing the value in worship anymore. Uh, we are very pragmatic people these days, so everything we do, we have to see that there's a personal gain. But worship is not primarily first and foremost about us. It's about God. It is a witness to him of who he is. It's a testimony to his significance. It is his worthiness that we ascribe to. And so we worship not because it's just necessarily functionally good for us. We do so because of who he is. And so I would say that I would love, I would love to, to, to challenge us to consider what we think this is about on Sundays and to gain, perhaps, I think, a more biblical understanding for the significance of what happens here on Sunday mornings. Fourth, uh, what excites you most about Skyview and its vision and its potential moving forward? What excites me most? I think it would be the kinds of people we have here. Um, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm I've been 40s, and, you know, I, I, I don't know how to talk you of myself. You say 40s? Don't tell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how to talk of myself. Do I talk of myself as middle-aged? I guess so, right? Um, but I guess I've lived a little long enough, not as long as some. I'm not as experienced as adulting as some of you are. But I, I, I've lived long enough to kind of get a sense. What was the question again? <laughs> what? Well, the sign of your 40s. <laughs> What excites you most? What excites you? Yeah, yeah. I, I think what excites me most is that Skyview is not a church that I think is, 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 is tied into ways of just doing things because that's how we do it. And I think we are a church that are very open. Uh, we, there, there, there seems to be a, a grace and a permissiveness here for me to be the past and to lead. And I think that's exciting to me, but I think what we, what we need to do with that grace and that freedom is to really embrace the calling of God for us moving forward. I, I'm excited by the kinds of young people we're producing in our church. I'm excited by the direction we're going with our children's ministry. We do, I don't know if you know this, but there's intention behind what we do, right? These values actually mean something. So for example, we're not just trying to teach our children about God. We are actually inviting them to know God. And how? We want our children to learn how to pray and to pray. We want to, learn our ch to teach our children how to participate in their own spiritual formation. And so I'm excited by what I'm seeing happening in children's ministry. I'm excited by the intentionality with our youth. Uh, I'm excited by the kind of capacity and leaders we have in our church. Uh, and I'm excited for the future that God has for us. I really am. Should everyone who calls Skyview Church their home church serve in this church? And what does that look like to you? It's a great question, isn't it? I think everybody should have a ministry. Um, 
But if every ministry is related to a program in the church, I think we'll stop being what God wants us to be. I think we are to live out our faith in the marketplace. We are to live out our faith with our colleagues. We are to live out our faith wherever we go. But the church does require ministers. Lay, we used to call it lay ministers. Now we call it volunteers. I don't like the word volunteer because I think it dismisses the fact that God calls people that are not on staff to be ministers within a community of faith. And so, you know, I, I forgot the question again, but I think I'm answering it, that in some ways, I think it has to do with, again, responding to the calling of God within your life and participating together in the work that God has called us to. Some of us need to pray about what, what involvement we ought to have in the church. Um, and some of us need to ask, how am I living out my faith in practical ways? What is the ministry to which God has called me? The good work to which he has called me? And each one of us, I think, has to answer that for themselves. What do you think is the biggest barrier for people to take some of the steps that you've talked about today? I think one of the biggest barriers is, is that we have to actually reprioritize our life and what matters most, if I just be frank. Um, you know, uh, each one of us at some point in our life, Jesus is always corrective. So when we hear the gospel and there's conviction that comes, that's God's grace. You know? And so if you're feeling that I'm being judgmental, I'm just, that's how Jesus works. I blame Jesus, not myself. You know? uh, Jesus tends to kind of say, look, let me help you again remember what matters. Um, let, me, let me get you back on track. There's much grace in that, but we respond to that. And I think that, I think that each one of us has to, has to prayerfully ask the Lord to kind of first show us the areas that we need to respond to. Um, and, and it begins with that personal relationship with Him, that communing relationship with Him. We are not cessationists in our church. In other words, we don't believe that God only speaks through His Word, though we first and foremost believe the Scripture is essential. But we believe that as we meditate and as we pray, that God actually speaks to us. We can hear and follow his leading, his prompting for each one of our lives. So I encourage you to pray. Uh, that's the first thing I would say you need to do. Pray. I think the second thing is talk to us at the church. Talk to the leaders. Talk to the board about what are the opportunities. Share what God is doing in your life. You know, we have Skyview stories. The purpose of Skyview stories we love testimonies. I love testimonies. But the purpose of Skyview Stories is to give voice to how God is leading people and how they're living out their faith in the marketplace. And so we want to kind of create opportunities for others to learn from this community of faith. We learn from each other ways in which we can actually become more faithful to what God has called us to do. How's that? It's good. Okay. I'm going to ask two questions somewhat related. Um, the first question, is it more important to focus on your own faith if it is struggling or reaching out to others who have no faith? And the second question, uh, if the church is a hospital for the broken and not a social club for the rich, then why do many judge others and think we as Christians are better than others when in reality we are all the same and not better than another? That's a, okay, good question. The, the first question about if I'm struggling with my faith, you know, should I give attention to my struggling faith or should I give attention to reaching out to others? I would say you must attend to your life as a priority, your life in Christ. You know, when we minister out of our, our brokenness, it can be helpful, but it can also be very, very, very hurtful. And we do not present ourselves as the example to people to follow. I'm not the standard. <laughs> so you can minister out of your brokenness. In fact, a lot of my ministry is done out of my brokenness. Many of you know that my past, in fact, the research for the MA I'm doing has got to do with my past brokenness. You know, racial segregation in South Africa, the death of my family as a result of a drunk driver. And in my experience of ministry, I actually had to come to the point of recognizing that I was defining my worth and value based on my brokenness. When Jesus literally in prayer invited me, he says, Stu, you cannot see yourself through your brokenness. You must see me. You must see yourself through my grace for you and who I say you am. You are. And so my ministry to you has grown over the seven years. I hope you know this, that God has brought healing. He's still working in my life. I still got a long ways to go, but I attend to what he's doing in my life. That's the first place we begin in prayer and attentiveness to him. And out of that, I think as we grow in him, we share our faith uh, more, I, I think more, um, uh, more intentionally, more honestly, uh, and more powerfully. Um, so, 
I'm not the object of that. If you're sitting here and you, you ask that question, you say, I'm struggling with my faith, you need to speak to somebody. You need to, you need to find someone in this community to come alongside you and to deal with what the issues are. So when, people, when someone says to me they're struggling their faith, it means a few things. One, I don't believe I'm living up to what God wants me to live up to, which is God's grace coming to you through conviction. Two, there's probably sin, confession. You know, in the church here, one of our values is transparency. The reason we have it is not so that you just know what we're doing as a board and leaders, you know, with your finances. The reason we have it is because we believe you don't mature as a Christian unless you're actually willing to be honest about who you are. And so some of us here need to actually find a place to bring our burdens and our sin. I know for young men, the issue of pornography is something that, vies, that holds and grips the shame of it. But we have people in this church who've walked through that issue and have walked through it in victory. This is the kind of community where people must respond with their brokenness and say, where will I find help, not judgment? And where will I find accountability? Where would I find support and prayer? To the second question that has to do with uh, if the church is supposed to be a hospital for the broken, I want to make this very clear. This church is open for absolutely everyone, anyone. If you don't feel like you're a saint, that's okay. You can come. But don't think for one moment that Christ is happy to leave us broken. And don't for one moment think that to be in the church and to say that I'm just a broken person and I'm going to live in my brokenness is the hope that Jesus has for you. We happen to have a very strong theological perspective that God through Christ and his spirit can heal us, can restore us, and can make us useful for his purposes in the world. And so I really do believe that there's great grace in being a hospital for the broken, but my friends, brokenness can keep us from the purpose of God. And even though I would say to you, am I still broken to some extent? Yes. But am I receiving healing? Am I growing? I would say that is true as well. And so I would say to that particular perspective, yes, we want to be a place where everybody is invited that has brokenness and hurts, but we want to be the place that Jesus wants us to be, where we are challenging and growing and maturing and getting healed. Um, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just pull it right now. No, pull it. I'll, I'll squat. <laughs> I need to work on my squatting anyway. Um, so this is a question about the role of language. So um, mm-hmm. in the Christian, I, I'd say um, there's definitely a cultural tendency. Like when you're when you've grown up in the church, um, so there's definitely like a culture to the church. And I've noticed in um, my work at camps where we have a lot of kids who have no um, interaction with Christianity, the language we use is very it makes it very difficult for them to understand. And I've seen this lots of times in conversations that I've like witnessed with people on sea trains being like, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And people are like, I don't even know what those words you're saying mean. Right, right. So what is the role as our culture becomes more secularized, um, and so there's more of a dichotomy between Christian culture and like secular culture, mm-hmm. um, so as the language uh, differences increase, like what are some solutions or like challenges within that? Right. Great question, Sarah. So uh, a few months ago, we had a roundtable discussion that Joel actually led up, uh, headed up for us in the new community we're going to move in, and we invited different organizations to be a participant. The basic premise of that whole thing was we want to learn what's here, what the needs are. We want to be prepared as a church for when we move in. And the police representative that was at the table looked at our little brochure, you know, the one we have, which I'm very proud of, by the way, and I think it's cool, and we have our values and, you know, our mission. And they said, are you going to produce any of this, like, for the community, you know, and in which language are you going to produce it? And what language are you going to use when you produce it? <laughs> so I think you're onto something. I think you're absolutely right that Perhaps as Christians, we presume that the language we use is understandable to the culture within which we are. But throughout history, the Christian church has always found a way to express the gospel good news in its culture. And I think that's the work that we are all called to do. Um, And uh, one thing that will help me to not be churchy in my language is when we have non-Christian people sitting here. So for example... (laughs) And, and this is going to help you to be non-church in your language if you actually have relationships with non-Christian people with the intentionality of sharing your faith. 
So when I know I've invited somebody and they sit here and they don't know Jesus and they've come because I've invited them, I preach actually a little differently. <laughs> but when I'm here with the initiated, I'm probably throwing out just almost without thought the words that make sense to you. So I think proximity, relationship, intentionality, and learning, when people ask you, what do you mean by that, learning how to respond, and I don't think there's a replacement for learning how to share your faith than doing it. So the answer to language is, you gotta begin with people who don't know Jesus. And when people begin to engage us in asking questions and say, well, what do you mean by that? I think that's the way in which we learn to speak this language of Jesus. I, I hope we're not that church, though. I think maybe sometimes we are, but I hope we're not the church that just lives on the high language of salvation, sanctification, redemption, uh, but we can kind of articulate it in simple ways. Good question. I have a few questions oh, wow. uh, remaining, and we'll draw our time to a conclusion. Now, I'm going to ask two here that uh, mirror one another in some respects. So the first question, uh, do you have any strategies or opinions on how to respond to people who believe church is irrelevant or not necessary to their faith or being a Christian? And the second question, um, it's more of a statement, I suppose. Uh, could the lower attendance in churches and perhaps other church issues not necessarily be about relevance, but because of the church's desire to be more tolerant and desire not to offend people or be perceived as judgmental and as such has been lax in promoting traditional church priorities? Wow. Okay, so Joel, the first question in synopsis. Yes. What uh, is it? Uh, your advice for people who believe the church is irrelevant. The church is irrelevant. not necessary. Well, certainly the church is irrelevant if, if what you're looking for is a way of life that gives you what you want. It's very irrelevant then. Like, uh, the church is irrelevant to anybody that wants to just live for their own comfort. Uh, the church will be irrelevant to most of us who uh, know that our world does not seek sacrificial ways of living, does not seek necessarily ways in which, I'm not saying everybody, but I think the church calls us to a particular way of life that calls self-denial. It's the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And so I would say um, that whenever Jesus preached, the crowds comprised those who were interested, those who were on the margins, and those who were outside. And I think Christian ministry always happens with those categories of people. There are always those who are going to be in the periphery, and they should, they, we, we should be happy when people are on the periphery because God wants to reach them as well. And some are a little closer. So I would say, I would say um, the relevance of church is something that is only experienced when people come to faith in Christ. And I'm not sure if I have a quick answer. I'll have to give it more thought as to how to actually respond to somebody that says church is irrelevant. Um, I think a lot of it has to do in the poor theological understanding of what the church exists to do. Uh, so some people, you know, we've heard, you know, come to Jesus and he'll fix your life. Well, Jesus creates more problems sometimes in our life than he fixes. Let's just be honest. You start to care about Jesus and what he cares about, he wants to take more of your money. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> You know, uh, you, you start to take Jesus seriously, he wants more of your time, which, by the way, is one of our most prized commodities in the West. And so, you know, I, I think this thing of relevance is, 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 is correlated to knowing Jesus Christ, and the calling of the church is not to make our lives more comfortable, but for us to fulfill the will of God for, for our lives. The second question, Joel? Sorry, let me just... There you go. I'm formulating um, yeah. answers, so I forgot. Yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, is lower church attendance mm -hmm. due to the church trying to be too relevant mm -hmm. and actually losing sight of its fundamental priorities and beliefs? And you can bear this out more than me. We didn't even touch into your resources and your knowledge, which would have been cool. But um, research shows no. this. It's wealth of information. Um, uh, research tells us that there's a growing segment of our population, usually younger, young adults, who are actually moving to more orthodox expressions of the Christian faith. Because what they desire is, 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 is not something that's relevant, but something that is completely different. Um, so the church in different seasons of its life has tried to be contemporary, it's trying to be more accommodating. So, you know, some of the signs still linger. We serve you coffee. We want you to feel at home, right? And that comes out of when this church was birthed, which was in the 80s, which was what's called the seeker-friendly model, and it did work to some extent. Uh, but I don't think that the church exists to actually become more like the culture, and I think there's validity to the question. 
I think the church exists to represent that which we have traditionally affirmed as core to who we are. And so in our church, I don't know if you realize this, we follow a philosophy of worship. We're trying to incorporate it. We do more invocation by intention. We do more benediction by intention because we want to have a good theology behind what we do that offers us, not first and foremost what makes us comfortable, but what we believe shapes our lives and gives us purpose and meaning, which comes from God. And so to that question, I would say perhaps there's some, I I suspect there's more to that question but that's how I'm going to answer it. Final question. Uh, How can we teach people coming from other beliefs to know what the Christian church and the Nazarene church teaches? Most of you know, you probably probably go, Nazarene what? Uh, Some of you know we're Nazarene. Um, What that basically means is we're kind of in line with most evangelical churches. We have Methodist roots. We have Wesleyan roots. Uh, one of, the, one of the, the gifts of our particular tradition is that we're incredibly optimistic of what God can do in the life of a person. Incredibly optimistic. The second gift of our particular community of faith and our theological tradition is this, is that we believe God gives us real, honest opportunity to respond to His grace in our life and to live out our faith. It's like, it's like God says, I've, I've given you this wonderful gift, now just use it. Now, that is very different, perhaps, than some other theological traditions. And I'm not, being, I'm not here to kind of say, oh, Wesley, you know, this is the church that's going to heaven. Yeah, have you ever heard the joke? <laughs> you know, Nazarenes get to heaven, they think they're only ones there, right? You know, and meanwhile, they're just in a little room somewhere off to the side. You know? um, so I'm not, saying, I'm not saying we're saved by our theology in some ways, but in other ways, I'm saying is we have a very optimistic view of what God can do through our life. Second thing about our tradition is, We were a church that cared about the poor and the marginalized. And we are a church still in many ways that does that. And we were a church that took the gospel message to where people were most in need. And I would love for us as a church to tap into the heritage that we would come from and to move into that direction. We've got a lot to learn from our past. We'll uh, conclude our time with two brief messages of, I suppose, testimonies Mm -hmm. uh, that people want to share with you, Pastor, and pass on to you. So uh, the first uh, says that your message this morning has inspired them to think about practicing generous hospitality as a means to bridge the gap between their secular friends and uh, their family of faith. And so it's a word of thanks to you. Um, for that. And the second is a, a question, a series of questions actually posed to us as a congregation for us to consider as, as a way of drawing this to a close. Uh, and they are as follows. How is it that we want to love people? How do we think that God wants to love through us as individuals and as a collective body? What is Jesus telling us about his will in our life Mm-hmm. as a part of this particular community, Skyview Church? And so these are questions and testimonies to uh, encourage us to think in, in light of that. So.